Nisambolvinaka, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific Ngo Okoroe Hawkins. Coming up today, concerns are raised about a mass voter re-registration exercise in Fiji. Every election, pre-coup, post-coup, there are people that are turned away. The Cook Islands government prepares to reopen its borders to the world. The light at the end of the tunnel is becoming brighter. It'd be great to have some sense of normality. And... Everyone, please, if you're going to go and, and, and see your loved one, just go and drop off and stay away from those areas. New West Premier is urging the public to stop flouting COVID-19 restrictions. An expert in Pacific politics says more public awareness is needed around Fiji's election preparations to avoid disenfranchising voters. A massive re-registration process is underway in the Pacific Island nation, with elections due to be held either later this year or early next year at the latest. Victoria University of Wellington Professor of Political Science and International Relations, John Frankel, has been following political developments in Fiji for decades, including being an election observer in past polls. Bula, and welcome back on Pacific Waves, John. So tell us more about the ongoing preparations and what differences you're noticing compared to previous elections. Well, I think the the background to the election is important to put it in some kind of context. Uh, This is the the third election since the coup of December 2006 uh, and it's got to be held sometime in 2020 from around July 2022 till early uh, till January 2023. Uh, it's, given the fact that they passed a mini budget and the preparations that are, uh, are going on as regards electoral registration suggest that it's going to be earlier rather than later but we'll see about that. Uh, uh, although the the governing Fiji First Party, uh, the party led by former military commander Frank Bainimarama, uh, and now Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama, although it won the 2014 elections by a landslide with 59% of the vote, and it sort of scraped through uh, in 2018 with a much reduced majority, uh, what we're now hearing from a succession of opinion polls, about five or six since early 2021 is that the uh, government is losing support, uh, which suggests that it's going to have a much tougher fight on its hands at this election. And uh, anyone that knows anything about the history of Fiji uh, with so many coups in the wake of elections, both in 1987, had a coup one month after an election, uh, 2000 uh, coup one year after election, 2006, eight months after an election, there was a coup Uh, That gives, I think, some cause for concern, particularly about whether the military would honour the result if the former commander, Bainimarama, were to lose. Would the Republic of Fiji military forces accept uh, the result if the opposition defeats the government? Um, Ahead of the poll, there are causes for concern that the Fiji Elections Office, and there are concerns about the independence of that office, but it's embarked on a a large comprehensive re-registration of all eligible citizens. Um, Everyone used to have a a green voter card. Uh, Now they're all required to uh, obtain new blue cards, which will verify names using birth certificates. And there's a campaign going on right now that ends on, I think, 2nd of April, which is going around all the villages, right up into the interior, across onto all the islands, uh, seeking to re-register the entire uh, 
uh, uh, eligible population of Fiji. That's about 660, 670,000. The, the, the entire population is larger, but we're talking about the population of voting age, in other words, over uh, the age of 18. Uh, Fiji in the past has had great difficulties with uh, having an effective electoral roll. Uh, lots of people are often missed off the electoral roll when it comes to elections. Uh, it's often the case that there are many people who turn up at the polling booths and can't find their name on the register and are unable to vote. So there are certainly concerns that that is going to happen uh, again this time, particularly as a result of this wholesale re-registration of all voters. Definitely. And there's there's this seems to be obviously uh, um, awareness and information is very important in all of these processes in any democracy? And, and is there some discrepancy in that space that you're seeing being problematic as well? I think there certainly is some confusion about all of this. There is, uh, uh, so people are uncertain about how long it will be possible to register. There is a, a, a registration campaign being organised by the Fijian Elections Office that ends on 2nd of April, but it's not the case that that is the last point when people can register. In fact, the, the last point when people can register is when the writs for election uh, are issued, and that can't be until May. The problem is, though, that uh, if you're outside the urban areas in some distant rural village or an, an outer island, you will probably, uh, after the end of the registration campaign, have to travel to the urban centres in order to uh, register on the roll. Um, uh, the the election is also going to take place, as with previous elections, using so-called designated polling stations. Uh, the, in other words, you can only vote at the polling station where you're registered. You can't go to a different polling station. That's often a cause of very substantial confusion. Um, people uh, don't know which po polling station they're registered at. In theory, uh, if you go to the right, even if you don't have a blue registration card, if you go to the right polling station and you have proof of identity and you can answer certain questions, you should be allowed to register. That's what the supervisor of elections is saying. But there's plenty of scope for a lot of confusion here among voters. I've seen it before. I served as a, an election observer at a whole number of different uh, elections um, uh, before the coup. And there's there's also an interesting court case um, linked to, to this that you you've highlighted. Tell us more about that. Well, there's a, a, a lot of objections to the uh, required re-registration of voters, uh, particularly because uh, women whose uh, maiden names differ from their married name, uh, they, they've got to um, re-register going through all the formalities and all the documentation required to to uh, establish their correct identity. Uh, it's also the case, one of the reasons why this uh, aspiration to conduct such a comprehensive re-registration of voters is occurring is because of a, a court case last year involving Nico Nwaikula, uh, an opposition MP whose birth name differed from uh, the name that he used politically. His birth name was not Nico Nwaikula, uh, but something else. And the, uh, the government sought to uh, uh, vacate his seat, get him to lose his seat on the grounds that his name differed, uh, his political name differed from that on the, on the birth certificate. That case collapsed. And 
partly as a result of that and as a result of the uh, pleas from the supervisor of elections, the Solicitor General, Sharvada Sharma, was sacked. And there's also a court case about that, about the legitimacy of his sacking, which is going to be one of the very big court cases this year, alongside that other one that you were mentioning about uh, the potential disenfranchisement of married women whose name whose married name differs from that on the voter register, on the, on the birth certificate, I mean. And what's the significance of, of these things? Um, going back, as you say, uh, uh, linking back into the history of past elections, like were there people being turned away because of these issues mm. in past elections, that kind of thing? Or what has been the case in the past with this? Yes, yes. There are, at every election, pre-coup, post-coup, there are people that are turned away because the polling officials can't find their name on the register. Their uh, uh, training can help. At one election I saw, the, um, I, 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 there was, like the 2006 election, there was actually a way of for the polling officials to find the name on the electoral register if they knew what to do, but they weren't trained properly. Um, and, uh, and actually that led to some ridiculous allegations of electoral fraud from the Fiji Human Rights Commission in the wake of the election when it conducted a retrospective election observation some many months later. Um, yeah, so, the, so there are certainly things that can be done about it. And I should say, I understand the position of the supervisor of elections who's saying, look, uh, we've got a control for these irregularities. You, uh, you, you have to update the forms. Uh, there can be bogus names. There can be deceased names. That's true. It's important to clean the voter register. Uh, but I think that by trying to re-register the entire population, uh, one potentially stores up more problems than one resolves by such an exercise. That's the danger. We will see. Um, um, also, of course, there's a question of the um, electoral registration process being done fairly in a way that's fair to all the parties, uh, given the fact that the election results are uh, released in a way that goes right down to the micro level, down to the polling venue level uh, uh, or polling station level, as it's called in other countries. Uh, it, it's quite easy to see which way particular villages vote. So there's a danger, a risk that um, that that could be used in a biased way to register those villages that or areas or islands that support uh, one political party and, and not be so uh, careful about registering those that support another political party. I don't see any evidence of that yet, but I think uh, it's important to keep a close eye on that because this point in the election cycle well before the election. This is the point when the international observers are, haven't come yet. They haven't even had issued invitations yet. It's at early stages in the election. But often across the Pacific, the uh, strength or weakness of elections is determined by the caliber of the uh, voter register. It's an extremely important part of the electoral process. The Cook Islands government is preparing to reopen its borders to the world and ease back on local COVID restrictions, allowing more freedom for residents and visitors. The changes have been welcomed by tourism operators and many people in the community, but not everyone. RNZ Pacific's Alicia Foon has the story. With the Omicron outbreak close to peaking, the Cook's government is dropping QR scanning, bringing back contact sports and opening its borders beyond New Zealand. Australian passport holders can enter the Cook Islands from April 12th and all other travellers from May 1st. 
Cook Islands Tourism Council President Liana Scott says it's welcome news as occupancy rates are only at 25 to 30 percent this month. Really pleased to have uh, the ability for uh, Cook Islanders and for um, tourists or attorneys that normally visit us from the US, as an example, Canada, Australia, be able to come here because they haven't been able to come here for the last two years, have our Cook Island people return. She says with the Omicron outbreak slowing business, it's been a challenging time. But there's hope, with projected occupancy rates for next month already at 55 to 60%. The light at the end of the tunnel is becoming brighter. Um, it would be great to you know, have some sense of normality. Uh, but we've still got a bit of a t- tough time ahead. You know, We've had quite a hit to industry, a lot of the interest and mortgage repayment holidays comes to an end at the end of March as well, which means that the debt that you grew during that time is is going to be called on for and that's going to put some pressure on some businesses. Health Secretary Bob Williams says he's confident the Cook Islands is prepared and ready to live with the virus. And of course we have uh, people uh, living in New Zealand and Australia that need to come back home. That's also part of the reasons why we are relaxing some of those requirements. Up to now there's no uh, admission to the hospital. All the cases are still within the community. So the proposal is uh, for the rat testing to continue. An essential worker pass is also being introduced for private sector workers on the basis they're asymptomatic and test negative daily before leaving quarantine. So it is for those who are being isolated because uh, family members are tested positive. So the responsibility is given on to the employer uh, to make sure they follow due process. And there's some uh, restrictions and uh, that people have to comply with with a daily test. Uh, should they become positive, uh, the card will be cancelled. More than 950 people in the Cook Islands have recovered from COVID so far and they'll be getting a green freedom pass, confirming safe re-entry into the community. But the raft of changes aren't being welcomed by everyone. Cook Islands United Party leader Tiariki Heather is isolating at home with COVID. He's afraid the government is moving too fast. He, along with over 300 people, protested the opening of the borders last year. We should have closed the border so with this opening of the border, it's sort of like I have reservations for that and key concerns about uh, opening up to the rest of the world. It really has impacted on our business sort of paying workers that not coming to work, you know, paying them seven days a week. My concern is the, uh, the health workers especially. So that's my biggest worry, you know. Uh, is New Zealand able to help us in this situation? And by opening up to the rest of the world, I think it's uh, very difficult to contain the situation for us. There are more than 600 active cases in the Cook Islands, but so far no one has been admitted to hospital because of the virus. A Rarotongan man with COVID-19 did pass away over the weekend, but a Ministry of Health spokesperson says the virus was not the cause of death. However, if the death had occurred in New Zealand, under current guidelines, it would be classified as a COVID death. Niue's Premier is keeping a close eye on New Zealand's Omicron outbreak as cases start to trickle through to the island nation. Right now, there are six active cases in MIQ facilities in Niue and no confirmed cases of community transmission. All of the cases have arrived from New Zealand. Well, my message is simple. We haven't changed from last week. It's just uh, added on two uh, positive cases, but they're in the managed isolation facility. 
thank God it's true, it, it could be uh, more, but, but we have the testing station that's open, the drive-through, please uh, utilize that. Premier Dalton Tangalangi says these are difficult times, but hopefully it will settle down soon. He says Niue police are looking into concerning reports of community members lingering around MIQ facilities. He's urging people not to chat with family members over the fence when dropping off food. Everyone, please, you know, if you're going to go and, and, and see your loved one, just go and drop off and, and stay away from those areas. It's nothing worse when we say no drop off whatsoever. There should be a clear message to everyone because I'm hearing not some really good news and at the moment police is going to look into some of these. Uh, it's serious to us because we try and protect, especially our officials. Premier Dalton Tangalangi says Cabinet will fast-track measures to further protect the borders, including introducing a penalty for those who are not honest on forms when they travel to Niue from New Zealand. The Health Ministry's Gaylene Tasmania told the Broadcasting Corporation of Niue all passengers travelling to Niue from New Zealand need to take more care when answering pre-departure forms. We did ask passengers to answer truthfully those questions that you were given at the airport, meaning if you had at any time been um, positive, then we we need to know because the way that PCR works, it detects um, not just live virus, I mean it detects the presence of a, a virus and can be live, it can be sitting in your system for a while, but we don't know that information unless you disclose it to us. So it is about being truthful when you answer those exit um, screening questions. It just gives us much more valuable information that we can use to then make decisions once things happen here. The Premier Dalton Tangalangi says so far people have not been listening to instructions and so authorities will be harder on those coming in on future flights. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Look at me for that next time more.